Let's go to the word. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, a message from God came to John. This is John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching. People should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Verse number four, and Isaiah had spoken of John when he said this. He is a voice shouting. Come on, somebody say shouting. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountain hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you open up every ear, open every heart, open every mind, God, just to receive of your word. Change us. Challenge us. God, I feel your spirit. Can we just, just for a moment, can you maybe just stick your hands out and just say, speak to me, Lord. Speak to me tonight, God. Lord, we need to hear your voice. Speak to us tonight, God. We lean into your presence. We lean into what you want to say. We lean into what you want to do. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much. So John the Baptist shows up. Many of you know uh, the story that John was prophesied to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies. He was a high priest, and it was Zechariah's turn to go in and to serve in the inner court. And when he's in the inner court, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Zechariah and says, I'm going to give you a son. Um, I'm going to bless you with a son, and his name will be John. And in that moment, Zechariah did not have the faith to believe what God was saying, and so he doubted God. And because he doubted God, the Bible says that Zechariah's voice was taken from him and that he was silenced until John's birth. And then when John was born, he was able to write out his name. His name will be John. And when he wrote out his name, his, his voice was, was released. So John grows up, and it happens, you know, right alongside of the birth of Jesus. And so it's prophesied of John, and then not long after, Mary receives the prophecy of Jesus, and she becomes pregnant with Jesus. And if you remember the story, in fact, Mary was kind of scared of the, the condemnation and the judgment that she would receive, and, and so she goes to live um, in in the house of Zacharias, and and then she comes home to Joseph, and they go and they have this baby. And so, this is about thirty years into the future. John has been born, Jesus has been born, and this is right on the precipice before Jesus will start his public ministry. And John, the Bible says, begin to go on both sides of the Jordan River. And he began to preach. And it said that the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah had this to say about John. He said, 
that he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountain hills will be made level and the curves straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation that was sent from God. And you, know, you may look at this prophecy about John and you may go, you know, what is this? I, I understand that he's the boy shouting in the wilderness. You, you look at it and you go, okay, I can see that John is here in the wilderness and, and he's preaching the gospel. But you may look at the rest of it and you may say, you know, I have questions about, you know, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. I can kind of see that. But, but what is it talking about? Clear the road for him. What is it talking about how the valleys will be filled and the mountain hills made level? Because if you understand that John was living in a dark time, John was living in a time, and when I believe, I believe that when it says that John was in the wilderness, it's not just the physical wilderness that John was in, but I believe there was also a spiritual wilderness that he was in in this time. It was a dark time. It was a desert place. It was a dry time spiritually. It was a scary time even to be alive. If you remember, if you rewind the clock to when Jesus was born, that all the babies two and under were murdered because they were just trying to wipe out Jesus because they had heard that the king of the Jews was here and they said, well, if we just take care of all the babies two and under, it was a scary, dark time to be alive. And I don't think it's any different than the time that we're living in now. We're living in dark times. We're living in a spiritual wilderness that we are in right now that is dark times spiritually. That truth is under attack. That, that our spirituality is under attack. And I believe that we're living in a dark time. We are living in a spiritual wilderness. But this is what I know is that I believe that God, the same thing that God spoke over John, I believe that God is speaking over us, that we are to be the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, that we are supposed to be the voice of the one shouting in dark times, shouting in spiritual desolate places, shouting in spiritual dry places, that God has called us to a city to shout his gospel, to climb up on the rooftops and shout his gospel and I just want to tell you this, that your life should shout Jesus in the wilderness. Our lives should shout Jesus in the wilderness. We can't be scared to live out this faith. We can't just like come to church on a Sunday night and we turn on Christianity on a Sunday night and then we go throughout our week and nobody ever knows that we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, we've got to shout his name from the mountaintops. In fact, Matthew 5 says it this way. Jesus told his disciples as he was teaching, he said this. He says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do you light a lamp and you put it under a basket, but you set it out on a lampstand. And what does it do? It gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before men that they may watch this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I tell you that God has given you, that God has given me a purpose in this world, and it's to lead people to Jesus. 
What was John's goal? His goal was to lead people to Jesus. And I'm telling you, God has given us a mandate in, in Matthew 28 before Jesus is taken up. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. We have a call. We have a purpose. We have a destiny to make disciples of the nations. Come on. Is there anybody in this place that believes that tonight, that I'm going to be a light? I'm going to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I won't back down. In fact, I love the way that Paul said it. Paul said it this way in Romans when he was writing to the Romans church. He said, I am not ashamed. Come on, somebody say, I'm not ashamed. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I'm telling you, we have to go into the world and not be ashamed. We've got to walk on our uh, workplaces and not be ashamed. We've got to go into our families and not be ashamed. We can't cower back in the faith that God has put in our hearts and in our lives. We have to go into the world and not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the saving power of salvation for everyone who what? Believes. Everyone who believes your life should shout Jesus in the wilderness. It's what John did. It's what we have to do. Number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Your life should prepare the way for Jesus. Your life should prepare the way for Jesus. Because, see, here's the thing that I love is that John came preaching this. Watch what he came preaching In Matthew chapter 3, he came preaching this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And he said this, watch, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John steps on the scene and this is what John is preaching. He's preaching, prepare the way. He's preaching, repent of your sin. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Watch what Jesus then comes preaching in the next chapter. Almost the exact same words. From then on, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's consistency. Can I tell you that there has to be consistency in the way we live our lives in this book? There has to be consistency and congruence in what we say we are and the way that we live our life. That's the reason that people have such a problem with the church today is because they look at the church and we're not who we say this book says that we are or their understanding of who Jesus is. And so people have been turned off from the church. Why? Because our life has not been consistent with this book. But what John the Baptist did is John the Baptist stepped on the scene and what he was preaching is what Jesus was preaching. And can I tell you, if our lives will preach what Jesus preaches, then we're going to prepare the way for Jesus in people's life. Because I'm telling you, there's people that need the gospel. There's people that need Jesus. There's people that need this book. There's people that need the spirit and the power and the presence of God. And if we will be consistent and congruent with the word of God, what I'm telling you is that we will pave the way to Jesus and it'll be easy for people to get to the heart of God. Come on, that's what we're called to. We're called to lead people to the heart of God. Their message was consistent. Your life should be consistent with what Jesus said. The way we prepare people, the way that we prepare people for Jesus is when they look at our lives and they see the consistency with God's word, with who they know Jesus to be. Now understand, listen, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. Because how many of you know none of us are perfect? We're not perfect. 
None of us are perfect. So I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not saying that people are going to show up and they're going to see a perfect church. Guess what? They're not. Because we're not a perfect church and we're not perfect people. But you know what we are? We're people that are pursuing God's word. We're people that are pursuing God's presence. You know what the greatest thing I think that even the world could see us have in our life is the grace of God in our life. That they see us mess up, they see us fall, they see us fail, and they see us get back up and be covered by God's grace. You know what, maybe, maybe it even looks like this for somebody, that we model what it looks like coming back to God under grace is that we mess up. Maybe, you know what, maybe we snap at our spouse. I know you would never do that, but maybe you snap at your spouse in front of somebody and you just have to go to that person and just go, you know what, hey, I snapped at my spouse the other day in front of you. I, I just need to tell you I'm sorry. You know, I, I got that right with her. She's forgiven me. Uh, I've repented of my stupid thing that I said or did or whatever. And we model grace in front of people. And they go, you know what? No, you're not perfect. But what you are is you're pursuing Christ. And even in our failures, even in our mistakes, we can model what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Your life should make a straight path to Jesus. Your life should make a straight path to Jesus. It said this uh, about John. It said that he would clear the road and that all the curves would be straightened. All the curves in the path would be straightened. And I believe that we live in a world of people that are running here for happiness. And they're running here for happiness. And they're like, if I just have this, I'll have joy. Or if I just do this, I'll have joy. Or if I just experience this, I'll have peace. Or if I just do this. And we have people that are on these curvy paths that are running from thing to thing or relationship to relationship, searching and looking for happiness. And I'm telling you that if we'll live our life according to this book, that if we'll live our life on our knees, if we'll live our life in, in God's presence and full of his power, I'm telling you, we'll take the curve out of people's life and we'll be able to show them a clear cut, straight path to the heart of Jesus. But I believe this, I believe that even in, in, in churches that, that we've made things difficult, because it goes on to say that the valleys would be filled and that the mountains would be brought low. And sometimes in church, we've made having a relationship with Jesus difficult. Can I tell you that having a relationship is not difficult? All you have to do is believe. The Bible said if you want salvation, what do you have to do? You have to confess and you have to believe. But we can so many times in church and in Christianity, we can make things difficult and we can make things hard. But I love what this scripture said. It said every mountain, every obstacle will be removed and every valley will be brought high. What is that saying? We've just got this flat, consistent plane that we can run on and we can get to Jesus. And I'm telling you that when we begin to change the way we live, change the way we think, truly live according to God's word, what I'm telling you is that those mountains, those obstacles that our lives could create for somebody, those valleys that they may have to go through, every high place is brought low. Every low place is brought high. What do you have then? You've got one smooth surface. What am I trying to tell you? That we can live our life in such a way that we can remove every obstacle for people in getting to Jesus.
They shouldn't look at my life and be like, well, you know, I don't know because he does this and this and this. And I just don't. Some of that just doesn't add up with the things that he says. The way that he lives doesn't add up. You know, he, he says this, but that I've noticed that there's like some judgment or hate in his heart. Whatever it is, I don't want any, I don't want to stand in the way. I don't want to be a blockade. I don't want to be a hindrance of anybody getting to the heart of Jesus. What I want to do is I want to be like John and I want to be the one that is bold in his faith, shouting in the wilderness. Hey, this is the way to get to Jesus, and I can point them there, and I'm not a blockade. I'm not a hindrance, but I can help them get to Jesus. Come on, let's not complicate the message of the gospel. The gospel is God's good news of Jesus coming to the earth, dying on a cross, raising on the third day, and giving life to all who what? Believe. Come on, let's not make this thing difficult. But this, and it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that we come in and we confess and we believe and then we just stay the same. I can't walk in the doors of the church, confess and believe and just stay the same. There's a process that happens that as I confess and, and as I believe, and, and I really look at, you know, the Bible talks about it in, in a three-step way. It talks about this. It talks about justification. It talks about sanctification. And it talks about glorification. This is a whole three-step process that, that as we get saved, and, and two of them, by the way, we have nothing to do with at all. The first is justification. When I'm made right with God, it has nothing to do with me. I confess, I believe, and the Bible says that salvation is a free gift. All I have to do is confess and believe, and I have a free gift. Of sal- I'm made right. I'm justified. I'm made right with God. It has nothing to do with me. And then you've got this second process called sanctification, and and we're all walking this out. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Paul writing, but even more in my absence. Watch what he says. He says, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. If I start judging somebody else because of where they're at in their walk with Christ, I might stand in their way of getting to Jesus. I might cause them to walk out the doors of the church and never come back. I might cause them to get up and walk away from God. I can be a stumbling block if I'm going to judge somebody based on where they're at in their walk with Christ. Just because, look, I've been serving, I've been serving God now for 25 years. We may have people walk in the door that have been serving God uh, a year. Do you think I'm going to have overcome some battles that maybe the person that just gave their life to Christ hasn't overcome yet? Does that mean that I can stand in a place of judgment over them just because they're at a different place and they're walk with Christ? No. That's why it's important to understand when the Bible says that you have to continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. But if I'm judging, if, I, if I'm pointing a finger, if I'm condemning, guess what I can be? I can become one of those mountains. I can become one of those valleys that keeps people from getting to Jesus. That's why this is a come-as-you-are church. It's come, at, come as you are. It doesn't mean you stay as you are. But this is a, a come-as-you-are church. We're not going to judge. We're not going to condemn. We're not going to point a finger at you. We want you here with arms wide open. We love you. We embrace you. Why? Because it's why Jesus came. Jesus came because he loved you, and he didn't want you to stay the way you were. He didn't want you to stay in your sin. He didn't want you to stay in your brokenness. He didn't want you to stay in the hurt or in the pain. That's why Jesus came. 
so the curves will be straightened out. People aren't going to have to continue to search. Why? Because they're looking at you going, I want what that person has. I know what they're walking through. I know the pain that they're walking through, yet they have joy. I know the battle that they're facing, yet they have peace. I want what they have. And they're going to stop all this curving, and they're going to come straight to you, and they're going to go, what do you have? And you're going to go, I'm going to point them to Jesus. Because in John 8, Jesus came, and Jesus is teaching, and and he says this. He says, look, they're asking, you know, he starts talking about the Father, and they're like, well, what is all this talk about the Father? And he's like, well, look, if you knew the Father, you would recognize that I'm from the Father. But because you don't know the Father, then you don't recognize me. And Jesus begins to talk about how they can know the, look, if you get to know me, then you'll know the Father. And Jesus is, is continually pointing people back to the Father. He said, how do you get to the Father? Well, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to pay a debt that you owe so you can get back to the Father and be, I'm going back to this whole, so you can be justified and made right. So you can be justified. And then I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, he says, that is going to point you to me and I'm going to point you to the Father. And so you've got this trinity that works together that's going to help you get sanctified and look more like Jesus and look more like the Father. And you've got it all working. And then there's coming a day where we will be made exactly like God. We're going to be made the way that we were intended to made. And it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with the power of God and what's happening in the future. So it's justification. It's sanctification and it's glorification. It's where we're going. You can look at it this way. What has happened, what is happening, what will happen in the future. And we're not going to judge anybody on their journey because we realize that people are working out their salvation. But we can be a John for someone. We can help them shortcut the process right to Jesus. They don't have to keep wandering the path because they found someone with the roadmap. And if you saw somebody lost and wandering around, I mean, you might laugh at them for a little bit and just watch them, but eventually you're going to help them, right? If you see somebody, eventually you're going to be like, can I help you? You look lost. Can I help you get, if we have the map, why wouldn't we help? There's so many people in our community that are lost, and we have the map to Jesus. We have the map to salvation, and it's easy. And I'm telling you that it's something simple, like an invite just like this that you put in somebody's hand that might just cut a clear-cut, straight path to Jesus. That maybe they they only attend church on Easter. Maybe they only attend church on Christmas. And you're like, hey, I've got just the thing for you because you only attend Attend church on Easter. Here you go. Here's your invite. And they show up, and you've made a clear-cut path. And because your life has been consistent, and because every day your life has shouted Jesus, and you've just lived this consistent, congruent life with the Word of God, that when you invite them, they go, yeah, I want what that person has. And because of what they have, I'm going to go to Easter with them. And then they show up on an Easter Sunday morning, and they raise their hand, and they give their life to Jesus, and they're justified. And they start this process of sanctification where God begins to do something in their life. And then one day in the future, they'll be counted in the number of those that are glorified. What I'm telling you is that a simple invite and living your life according to this word is shouting Jesus and it's going to make a clear cut path. It's going to make it easy. Come on. 
is going to make it easy for people to get to Jesus. I'm going to ask that the keys come back. And, and I want you to stand on your feet. I'm, I want to close with this, with this passage of Scripture. As they come back, you can stand with me. And I want to close with this in Luke chapter 15. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. And it'll be on the screen here. I'm going to read just a little bit, but I want you to follow along with me because I'm going somewhere on this. This is Jesus teaching. and He teaches three parables about three lost things. And he says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Imagine that. Who was it? <laughs> tax collectors and who? Sinners. Jesus came for the sinners. That's why we don't stand in judgment, because he came for the sinners. And they were all gathered around. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the teachers, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats to them. So Jesus taught this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And when he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven when how many? One sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. I'm telling somebody tonight that God is calling you to shepherd your community. In this parable, I want you to hear that God is calling you to shepherd in your community. God is calling you to go after the one who has walked away. God is calling you to go after the one who has wandered away, wandered away from God's house, wandered away from their purpose, wandered away from the joy of the Lord, wandered away from the peace of God. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they know the truth. Maybe they had made a walk to the altar and, and said a prayer and gave their life to Jesus, but they're not in the house of God. And I'm telling you, maybe a simple invite can help get them back in the house of God. Maybe it can be the one. This is what I'm asking you this week is to pray, God, who is the one? Who's the one in my, in my world? Who's the one on my street? Who's the one in the cubicle, maybe on my left or right? Who is the one in my sphere of influence? God, who is the one that you're sending me to? Because God has called us to be shepherds in our community and to go after the one. Because if you'll remember, I think at one time you were the one. But yet Jesus came after you. He came after you with grace. He came after you with mercy. He came after you with love. He came after you because he loves you. And now he's asking us, hey, will you go after the one? Will you go after the one that's hurting, that's broken? Will you go after the one that needs salvation? Will you go after the one that needs grace? Jesus goes on to preach in this parable. And he begins to teach about the parable of the lost coin. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found the lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, 
there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. You know what I think this represents? I think this represents people that will show up in our church and not necessarily give their life to Jesus on day one, but they just kind of keep showing up to church and they just kind of keep kicking the tires. I think it represents people that show up and they're lost in the house. But I'm telling you, if we won't judge them, if we won't condemn them, if we won't look down on them, if we'll just continue to love them, I'm telling you there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit will be doing some spiritual sweeping in the house and they're going to be found. If we'll just keep loving them, if we'll just keep caring for them, if we'll just keep being there for them, I'm telling you there's coming a day when the chains will be broken, when the addictions will be broken, when the strongholds will be broken, but I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to stand in judgment. Why? because they're in this process of working out their salvation. And there's coins that can be in the house that are lost, but when they finally say, I'm giving my life to God, we're going to be here to stand right alongside them and say, praise God, we knew the day was coming. Because there's people that are going to show up and they're going to struggle. Can I tell you, I was that kid. I showed up for a year to church in my youth group many times high out of my mind. My youth pastor just loved me. Didn't judge me. Didn't tell me get out. Didn't tell me you can't be here. He just loved me. And what we want to do as a church is that every time these doors are open, we just want to love people right where they're at. And then the last thing Jesus taught on the parable of the lost son. And in verse 11, Jesus continued and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse number 13, and not long after that, the younger son got all that he had and set off for a far distant country. There he squandered his wealth and living. The Bible goes on to say that this younger son found himself in the pig pen wanting the food that the pigs were eating. And it said that he had this moment where he comes to himself. And and in my mind, I kind of see it like this, that this son, he's serving in somebody else's house and He's looking at the pig slop and he's so hungry and he squandered everything and he just wants it. And I can kind of see he looks up and he sees a son of this house and he thinks to himself, why am I a servant in somebody else's house when I can be a son in my father's house? And he looks up and he sees this son and he says, what am I doing here? And so he comes to himself and he heads home. And the Bible says that the father saw him afar off. Can I tell you that there's people in our city that are afar off, but we can still be a sign that points people to Jesus. This last week on on vacation, you know, we're traveling and you see these Bucky signs, right? Bucky's, they're, they're geniuses when it comes to marketing because they put a sign up a hundred miles away. And it just says like clean restrooms, hundred miles away. 
I don't care how bad you have to go to the bathroom. You're like, I'm holding it 100 miles away. Let's, we can make it. Can you make it? We can make it. I'm making it to Bucky's. And then you go in and spill, spend your life savings at Bucky's. But, but they're genius in this strategy and that they put these signs up afar off. Can I tell you, there's people that are far away from God in our community. But what we can be is a billboard that says, hope this way, joy this way, peace this way, forgiveness this way, restoration this way, promises this way, broken marriages healed this way. And we can just kind of be a billboard on the side of the road that will point people back to the heart of God and we can make it easy and they don't have to go from this to that, from this substance to that substance or this relationship to that relationship. They can look and we can be like, here's the clear cut way to get to Jesus. And I know that that's what restoration has called us to be. We're not just a gathering on a Sunday night. In fact, I would say that's the least of what we are. We're not just a gathering on a Sunday night, but we're people that go into the community and we love like Jesus loved and we live like Jesus lived and we do our best just to love people and go after the one.